You're listening to the Financial Literacy Podcast, brought to you by MD Financial Management, Canada's only national financial services firm dedicated to helping physicians and their families with their unique financial needs. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us today. I am Tannis Roadhouse, and I will be your host for today's episode. I am so excited to be here today as we discuss the decision of whether to buy property as a resident or new and practice physician. And we're joined by a very special guest, Gareth Canning, financial consultant and certified financial planner. Gareth, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Tannis. I'm uh, looking forward to joining you on this chat. All right, then. Let's jump right in. Super. Let's do it. Now, obviously, deciding to buy a home is a big decision for anyone. But for residents or physicians new to practice, it can be even more daunting for a variety of reasons. Can you touch upon some of the major factors that could maybe make someone hesitant to make that leap into the housing market? Absolutely. Like you said, you know, buying a property is a massive undertaking for just about anyone, especially with the cost of housing rising as much as it has over the, uh, over the past decade. If you look at places like Vancouver or Toronto, some of the average housing costs are over a million dollars these days. Now, to add to that, already physicians have massive amounts of debt for medical school and training, plus the stress of finishing their residency and starting to practice, whether that be starting a family or moving to a new city. It's a lot to think about. You're right. So do you think it's ever a good idea for a resident or new to practice physician to buy a home? Honestly, it really depends. There are some pretty great advantages to owning a home, but especially for residents and uh, to a lesser extent new to practice physicians, they need to ask themselves if they think they can handle the extra costs and responsibilities. It's not as simple as just paying your monthly rent and letting the landlord deal with any issues. It's not entirely impossible, but it requires a lot of thought and research in advance. Yeah. So where do you think it's a good place for them to start? In my opinion, you know, before even looking at the financial factors, you have to look at the situation logistically. So it's not uncommon for physicians to have done med school in one city and then residency in another province altogether. And finally, practice in a new province or a new town um, separately. So you really have to consider where you see yourself geographically over that time frame. Uh, starting your practice, getting married, and, and starting a family are all things that may affect where you decide to settle down, after all. So if you're not sure about where you're going to be for all of those life events, the flexibility of renting is kind of second to none because it, it'll really give you that flat added flexibility. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, let's say you have a resident. They've fallen in love with the city they're training in. They're saying th- to themselves, you know, I never want to leave here. There's so much opportunity. The community is great. I can really see myself settling down here. What would you say to that resident if they wanted to start looking into buying a home while they're still in training? (laughs) Well, honestly, uh, as a financial planner, I would say, that's amazing. What's your financial plan? And I don't mean that as in I'm trying to crush their dreams or anything, but a a lot of people, even those in not a massive amount of debt from med school, don't fully see the whole picture when it comes to buying a property. The upfront costs uh, tend to be more than just a down payment after all. And then, of course, mortgage payments don't work entirely the same as rent payments. There are a lot of factors that are going to affect your financial ability to afford the home. 
So I would say that step one is always to speak to a, an advisor so you can get a better idea of what you can afford to take on. And that's where advisors like yourself and the other advisors at MD are especially helpful because they are professionals in the financial needs through all the stages of a physician's journey. You're absolutely right, Tannis. A lot of physicians, you know, they, they can accumulate a significant amount of debt through their student loans and lines of credit. But a lot of the financial institutions in Canada have created programs to make it possible for them to purchase a home, even without the significant levels of income that they would be expected to generate in practice. Um, and of course, an advisor like us at MD uh, has the specialized knowledge and expertise in these situations to be more familiar with the type of options available to them. And that gives residents and new to practice physicians more confidence in their decisions. Absolutely. So speaking of financial advisors, let's start breaking down the financials of when a resident or new to practice physician starts to consider buying property. Okay. So the first thing you're going to want to do is, is get a clear picture of your current financial situation. So this means getting a solid understanding of the total amount of debt you have and like things like your student loans from the government, uh, lines of credit, credit cards, and knowing what your monthly payments for that are going to look like when they are being repaid. Then you have to look at your options for coming up with a down payment. How much have you saved up to this point? How much are you going to need to save to get to that end goal? And if it's possible, are parents or other relatives able to help you out in the meantime? From there, you can begin to evaluate what you own, what you owe, and if you're going to have enough cash flow to cover all of your housing expenses in this future home of yours. Your expenses should include all your fixed costs and financial commitments that'll be there whether you decide to rent or buy, plus all of your variable expenses like groceries, entertainment, you know, shopping, things like that. Also, just keep in mind that buying a house comes with a lot of upfront costs. So you're going to need significant funds saved and on hand to cover those. So when you say upfront costs, Gareth, you're talking about a down payment, right? Well, yeah, that, that's the main part of it. And there's actually a lot of flexibility in how much you can put down on a home these days, which is really good for physicians, actually, who have typically limited assets when they're coming out of residency. Um, but that being said, even though paying less for your down payment might sound great, it's, it's a bit more complicated than that. So can you break down for us how to determine what you would need for a down payment? Okay, so first things first. You need to look at the sale price of the home to figure this out. If the purchase price is $500,000 or less, uh, you need a payment, a down payment, excuse me, of at least 5%. For a home that is priced between $500,000 and a million, you still only need the first 5% on that first $500,000. But the excess above the $500,000, you need to put down 10%. Any home over a million dollars, which would not be strange in a place like Toronto or Vancouver, you need to put down a minimum of 20%. So it's a huge jump up for those venues or those locales. However, there's a quick note for any of those houses under a million dollars, even though the minimum down payment is 5 to 10%, you still need to pay at least 20% to avoid having to apply for mortgage default insurance, which is just going to be added to the mortgage balance. Wait a minute. So then what's the point of the 5 or 10% minimum if it's going to cost you more in the long run? What is mortgage default insurance? Good question. 
the five or ten percent minimums are actually really quite helpful for getting more people into the housing market in spite of all those rising housing costs. There's lots of people who will be able to afford their monthly mortgage payments based on the cost of their home. It's just saving that initial upfront large down payment that's holding them back. So making that initial cost lower provides more buying opportunities for a wider collection of people in Canada. Now, the second part of your question, mortgage default insurance. That's what protects the lender who provides you the mortgage in case a buyer like yourself defaults. Uh, for example, not making your payments on time for a series of payments. This can cost between 0.6 and 4.5%, depending on how much you put down from the minimum of 5% all the way up to 20%. This will be added to your mortgage balance to be paid off through your monthly or however frequent you pay your mortgage. So while the insurance isn't meant to necessarily protect you, it does help protect the financial system at large, and it helps make it possible to buy you a home in cases where coming up with a 20% down payment isn't necessarily possible for you. Okay. So we have a down payment plus possibly mortgage default insurance. You mentioned earlier that there are other upfront costs as well. I'm glad you revisited that. Thank you. These are what we call closing costs. This includes things like legal fees, uh, sometimes land transfer taxes. Typically, we can assume that they're going to range between one and a half to 4% of your house's purchase price, but it really depends on the province and even the municipality in which you're purchasing. Uh, of course, there are other things in there that can be included like home appraisals, home inspections, and land surveys, and those can add a few thousand dollars extra on top of your down payment. Okay, so let's say you're looking at buying a two-bedroom condo in downtown Toronto. And you've already said Toronto is a really expensive market. And I think the average price of a condo is between seven dollars and $800,000. And let's say you want to put 20% down to avoid mortgage default insurance. You're going to need between one hundred and forty dollars and $160,000 plus extra for closing costs. That's hard to come up with by yourself. So is there any assistance available to help residents and new-to-practice physicians come up with this down payment? Absolutely, Tannis. There are a number of ways you can get help with your down payment these days. Uh, it's become very, very common for family members like parents or grandparents to help their children or grandchildren by gifting large amounts of money, usually for things like down payments on homes. Um, and if this is something that's possible for your family, then it's a great way to get a little bit closer to purchasing your home. And if your family is really nice, it's a great way to avoid interest and extra fees that you would encounter from those lenders. Now, if that's not a possibility for you, there are some borrowing options specifically for residents and new to practice physicians. Scotiabank, for example, has a professional student plan, which is their brand of the student line of credit. And you can actually borrow up to 50% of your down payment from your line of credit to help finance your house. Keep in mind that this is another instance where you will need to get mortgage default insurance just because you are borrowing to put down money. All right. So even if residents and new to practice physicians think that, wow, I'll never be able to save up a down payment by myself, you know, they should really know that there is still hope. I mean, it looks like there's a lot of options that would make the goal of buying a home possible. For sure, it's definitely possible with the right planning in place. 
the most important thing is to just keep in mind that when you start to consider borrowing for the down payment, how much that's going to add in debt on top of your student debt is a big factor. And that's before we've even considered your mortgage debt. Right. So because once you've got your down payment out of the way, that's the next step. So should we start to break down that a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so mortgages for residents and new to practice physicians are, are calculated a little bit differently from most people. But before we get into that, I think we should break down what a typical mortgage is actually made up of. So your mortgage is the remaining purchase amount of your home not covered by your down payment, plus any potential mortgage default insurance that you may have been required to purchase as well. Now, the bank loans this amount to you, and then you have to pay that back over a predetermined period of time, plus interest, of course. Can't forget interest. Now, the overall period of time that you have to pay off your mortgage is your amortization period. This can be anywhere from 15 years, 20 years, 25, 30 years, etc. You have different options to choose from with your lender. Within your amortization are shorter periods of time called terms. The most common terms used are five years in length, but they can range anywhere between three months to 10 years. And your term determines what your monthly payments are going to be and the interest rate for that specific period of time. Once a term is over, you can renew it or you can establish a new term with new rates and, and new terms. So what is the point of a term then? Why not just keep the same payments throughout your whole amortization period? Good question, Tannis. And to be honest, in the States, it's a more common practice to go that route. But over the span of 20 years, the economy and interest rates are going to change quite a bit. Not to mention people's personal circumstances could change as well. Having these shorter terms gives borrowers in Canada the opportunity to adjust to those changes as they progress through life. As a matter of fact, interest rates can change frequently, as we've seen over the past few years through the COVID pandemic. And so there are different options for how you want to pay the interest on your mortgage within your term. You can pay based on a fixed rate or a variable rate. A fixed rate mortgage means that you agree on a specific interest rate for the duration of your term. This is a good option for those who need a steady pace of repayment and they can't handle any variation because your monthly payment will be the same amount for that entire period of time. Keep in mind, though, this also means that sometimes you may be paying more in interest than someone with a variable rate. That's because with a variable rate, your interest changes with the bank's prime rate. So when the bank's prime rate goes down, like it did at the beginning of COVID-19, your payments might be a little less. And when they go up, you might have to pay a little bit more. You just have to decide what makes the most sense with your particular financial obligations. Okay. So it sounds like there are lots of options to structure your mortgage in a way that really works for you, which for residents and new to practice physicians is great for helping them prioritize their expenses. But what should they expect when it comes to how much of a mortgage they will qualify for? So after you've completed all those exercises we referenced before around, you know, your net worth and cash flow, you're going to want to go to a lender to get pre-approval before you start looking at actual homes. Not only is this going to give you a better idea of your budget, but most sellers nowadays are, are looking for that information to know that a buyer is actually serious. Typically, to get pre-approved, there's a number of things you need to provide to your lender. You need proof of your income and you need to verify your employment. This is mainly so that the lender knows you have a steady cash flow and you can be trusted to make your payments. If you have any assets, you have to show proof of those as well. 
Your assets could include the funds you've saved for the down payment and closing costs, but also any other cash reserves you may have, investments, accounts, that kind of thing. Then you'll also have to undergo a credit evaluation to see whether or not you have good credit. Most lenders look for a credit score of at least 620. Credit scores in Canada go from a minimum of 300 to 900, just for your reference. You'll also need ID and other paperwork in order for your lender to complete your credit report. Once your lender has all that information, they'll usually calculate it using their mortgage stress test for a five-year term to see how much you'd be able to afford. And then that total minus your down payment is your total mortgage you're eligible for. But just to clarify, the pre-approval, that's just an estimate, right? Kind of. To be clear, it is not about what you can afford. It is the maximum amount that the lender is willing to give you based on the information you provide. Depending on the actual sale price of your home and how you structure your mortgage, your actual mortgage may end up being quite different from that pre-approval. I know this sounds like a lot just for pre-approval, but it will save you a lot of time and stress compared to if you found a home you loved and then had to scramble to get all this done afterwards. Plus, your pre-approval usually lasts about 90 days. So once you go through the whole process and have a good amount of time to find homes and finalize things, those rates and those commitments that the lender said to you are in place for that 90-day period. Earlier, Gareth, you mentioned that the process can be a little bit different for physicians. How so? I'm glad you asked, Tannis. The great thing for physicians is that there are some lenders who understand that while you are still training, you will have large amounts of debt, even if you may be earning income through residency. So rather than say, well, you already have all these other loans you have to pay off, why are we going to give you more money to have to pay back? Instead, they look at your projected income of your specialty when you begin practicing some date in the future. So for example, if you're planning to become a thoracic surgeon or a cardiologist, They use a portion of your specialty's future income to determine your mortgage. They know that the rate of loan repayment for physicians is usually much faster than other careers, and this is where mortgage terms are going to benefit you. You can have smaller monthly payments while you're starting to practice and focus on repaying your student loans. Then, down the road, you can renegotiate your term agreements to increase your payments and pay off your mortgage a little faster over time. Keep in mind, depending on the payment arrangements in your mortgage agreement, you can have extra payments toward your mortgage if you have spare funds. That sounds like a fantastic advantage, being able to get a mortgage based on projected income rather than what you have now. So Gareth, do you think it's better for a physician to get into the market sooner rather than later? Absolutely. It's a great advantage. Honestly, I don't actually know if there is another career path that has a similar benefit. To be honest, though, I think it still really depends on how much responsibility a resident or new-to-practice physician can handle while they're going through the many different life events at the same time. While you can get approved for a mortgage, you still have to think about if you can balance all of those responsibilities with your other financial obligations on top of your extremely busy workload as well. You could wait until you're further into your career and have less financial stress once you're in practice. Yes, that's very true. Now, we're almost out of time for today. So, is there any final advice or even just encouragement you'd like to offer our listeners who are thinking about buying a home while pursuing their medical career? Yeah, I think I can come up with a few tidbits. I know we went through a lot here, and I don't expect anyone to grasp all this information in just like 20 minutes or so, whatever the length of this podcast is. So I don't expect you to make your decision just based on what you've heard here today. 
there is a lot that we didn't cover. You could make an entirely separate podcast on this topic alone. But I do hope that this has given you some confidence and reassurance that it's absolutely possible to buy a home as a resident or new and practice physician. There are lots of options out there for you. There are lots of ways to get help along the way too. You shouldn't have to put every other aspect of your life on hold just because you've chosen a career in medicine or any career for that matter. So speak to an advisor, do some research and read up on it. I know you'll find something that works for you. Absolutely. Great points. And if you're listening to our podcast, you're already off to a great start. Like Garrett said, there's a lot we couldn't cover today, but we've got a lot of great resources on our website here for you to check out. And of course, our advisors can help you every step of the way. So if you're a resident or a new to practice physician, a recent graduate, or even if you're already practicing and are ready to buy your first home, contact an MD advisor and get expert guidance tailored specifically to your needs as a physician. Gareth, thanks again for joining us today. It's been great chatting with you. Well, thank you, Tannis. And uh, best of luck to all of your future physicians out there listening to today. Yes, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, my name is Tannis Roadhouse. It's been a pleasure hosting the episode today. We hope you'll tune in again soon. This has been the Financial Literacy Podcast, brought to you by MD Financial Management. For more information or to speak to an advisor today, visit our website at md.ca.